0: They don't i must pray all the more
1: to give a very special welcome today especially to our viewers on the network systems throughout Los Angeles and uh, our friends throughout the network on 3ABN and especially to you folks who are sitting here today. We're very, very glad that you joined us. The topic that was announced that I was going to speak on today is this, the new world order, the coming economic collapse, the collapse of morality in the world and the return of Jesus. I was thinking last night perhaps I should have called this topic the good news about the bad news because that's what it's going to be. I'm going to give you today some bad news but we need to hear the bad news because the bad news tells us that the greatest event in the history of the human race is going to happen soon. I also thought last night I could have called this talk see the lightning, and hear the thunder. Because when I was a boy of 16 in Australia, I got a job up in North Queensland driving a tractor or a bulldozer. It was an Oliver Klee which is very similar, it's an American machine, very similar to a caterpillar. And North Queensland is in the tropics, and so in summer, it is hot and you have tremendous storms. And every afternoon about 3 o'clock it would come a danger time because it's not good to be on a tractor out in a violent tropical storm. And at 3 o'clock or half past 2 you would see in, in the west a little flicker of lightning. And then the lightning would become more intense and after a little while you would hear the mutter of the lightning and soon you would hear the roar of of the lightning, the roar of the thunder and then would come a tremendous tropical storm. And always after the storm it was so quiet and so cool and so peaceful. I believe today, prophetically speaking, that we can even now see the lightning and we can hear the thunder I want you to take your Bible today and there are Bibles in the pews I'm sorry we don't have any Russian Bibles but you Russian folks don't need them because you're translators and I want you to come with me please to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 and verses 1 and onwards where Jesus talks about the thunder and where Jesus talks about the lightning And I want you to notice what Jesus had to say. And then I want us, Bishop, to apply this in the context of our own days living right here in this part of the world. We're turning to Matthew chapter 16 and verses 1 and onwards. Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and, testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say... It'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it'll be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Jesus said that these religious leaders, even though they knew a great deal of theology, did not know the truth about the signs of the times and they did not understand the truth about the coming of the Messiah. The greatest tragedy that that could ever happen to a people was this tragedy. That these people were called to be the light of the world. They were the people who had the oracles of God. These were the people who were the remnant church. Did you hear this? These were the Sabbath keeping people. These were the people who were looking for the coming of the kingdom of God. These were the people who had the holy law of God. And when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came, they were so entrenched in religiosity that they nailed the Son of God to a cross. And Jesus said, You hypocrites, you know many, many things, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. And I want to talk today for a little while about the great signs and the great omens that God has given us in His Word. And today I want you to see the lightning and I want you to hear the thunder and I want you to know the good news about the bad news. I want you to please turn over here to Matthew 16 and uh, no, come over a little further to Luke 21 rather. Luke 21, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 21. And I want you to notice the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, Luke, 20, Luke 21. We're going to start at verse 25. And we're just glad today to have James and his wife back because James has been in Germany and we call James the glory man in this church because after a little while, James, when he gets moved by the Holy Spirit, he can't hold it in and out will come a glory. And so, if you folks hear a glory today, you'll know we've got James back and the glory man is functioning. We don't mind if you function either. Uh, Luke 21 and verse 25 and onwards. Jesus said, There'll be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. And on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Jesus said in the last days the nations would be filled with distress and perplexity because of the events that were coming upon the earth. Uh, verse 26 says, Jesus says, Men's hearts failing them for fear or from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I want to talk today about three major signs. We could talk Tanya, we could talk Julia about a hundred major signs in the world. Let us talk today about three major signs that tell us that Jesus Christ is going to come. The first one I want to talk about is the collapse of morality. And we're not just talking about the United States of America, we're talking about the entire world. Jesus said, and you know the words, as it was in the days of Noah, so it is going to be. And when you turn to the book of Genesis, we are told that the days of Noah were filled with crime and violence and evil. The Bible says that the thoughts of men, was, their thoughts were only evil continually. And the Bible says it's going to be the same in the last days. I want to say to you, it is the same today. As Pastor Bolt referred, here is this lady who goes to Jess Moody's church A fine Baptist preacher who is in charge of the Shepherd of the Hills Church. And here is a church member who is going, listen to this cell leaders, we have cell groups in this church. Here is a lady who is going to a cell group. And she goes to pick up her daughter from a cell group in one of the most affluent uh, areas of the City of the Angels. And uh, the the robber says, give me your money, and she does exactly what they say to do. She gives the money, she doesn't offer any resistance, but she is gunned down in cold blood. Uh, On a television program only just two days ago here in America, they had these, these leaders of the gangs from the city of Los Angeles, and their faces were masked. And they said to one of those young people, a young woman, have you killed a person? She said, yeah, about 35. And then the interviewer said to her companion, have you killed anybody? Yeah, I guess about 30 people. And don't you feel remorse? No, why not? Why should we feel remorse? We're just killing people. We're just killing people. I saw my my brother killed. And I was treated badly as a child, and so who cares, we're just killing people. We are living in the very time that was described by the prophets of the Bible. I want to tell you this today, that if you open your eyes, you will see the lightning, and you will hear the thunder. And this bad news, however, is good news, because the bad news tells us that Jesus is coming again. I want you to take your Bible and turn over here to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 to 7. 2 Timothy the third chapter and verses 1 to 7 my dear friends. The Bible says, but know this that in the last days perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers, what does it say? Lovers of money. I want to tell you if you are a lover of money you cannot be a lover of God. You cannot go to heaven if you are a lover of money because the Bible teaches that you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only you will serve. And the Bible tells us in the last days people will be lovers of money rather than lovers of God. The Bible says lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of those that are good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness. These will be people who will be living in a Christian nation. And there'll be people who know all the right words to say. And they'll be able to talk about Jesus. But the Bible says their religion is superficial. It is only a veneer. And the Bible says these are the signs that will characterize people living in the last days. I want to tell you, my friend, we are living in the time when the Lord is going to come. Now, I want to give you sign number two. And I've taken two meetings in this church on this and some folk have said thank God because it tells us that Jesus is coming and some other folk have said don't scare us, preach unto us smooth things but I want to tell you a preacher of the word of God ought to preach the word of God and should not preach to please the congregation. A preacher who preaches to please the congregation has sold his soul to the devil and he will never see the kingdom of God The Bible talks about dumb dogs that will not bark and it is talking about preachers. Preachers in the church. I want to talk now about uh, financial instability and uh, I'm going to show you folks something in this book. I've quoted from this book. I've quoted from other books that you can get. You can get the videos The Coming Financial Collapse and The Coming Financial Earthquake. We have two videos on these. But I want you to notice this book by Larry Burkett, The Coming Economic Earthquake. And uh, we'll get the camera to come in close on this, and I'll try to be good and hold it steady. But I want you you to see this, because most of you with good eyes will be able to see this. That's why I've got my glasses on. This is a little graph that's been put out by Uh, It's taken from the President's private sector survey on cost control commissioned by President Reagan. Now, Now look at this. It shows you going back a few years and that's where the deficit was. And then we come to the 1960s and the 1970s and the deficit was still not too bad. But then we come to the 1980s and the deficit went through the ceiling. And here we are right here today with a growth of the deficit to the point where it is now reaching or just over 4,000 billion dollars or 4 trillion dollars. At the present rate of the federal deficit, that's the amount of money that this great government is in debt for. By the year 2000, the debt will be either 13 trillion or 20 trillion dollars. Some say 13 trillion and some say 20 trillion dollars and uh, That's a little hard for my mind to take in. But by the year 2000, at the present growth rate of the deficit, to pay the interest alone on the deficit will take double the personal income taxes of every person in the United States of America. To give you some idea of how serious the problem is, I want you to visualize this. If I had a million dollars here today... And they were in $100 bills. I want you to think of $100 bills. To make a million dollars, we'd have a stack 40 inches high. That's a million dollars in $100 bills. But a billion dollars is 3,000 feet high. And a trillion dollars is 630 miles high. And 20 trillion is 12,600 miles high. And quite likely by the turn of this century, and that'll be in less than seven years. When we come to the turn of the century, this government will have a debt between 13 trillion and 20 trillion. Now, I was talking to Julia and showing her around this wonderful land that we love and that we're proud of. And I took Julia to a supermarket and showed her all the wonderful things to eat in America. And uh, I said, Julia, we believe Jesus is coming soon. And I said, I believe that we are going to have a worldwide financial crisis. But she said, surely not in this country. Because it looks so prosperous. I want to remind Julia today that the Soviet Union was, was one of the greatest nations in the world. And when I went to Russia 20 years ago, Julia, to Get one of your rubles, it cost a dollar forty. A dollar forty. And when I went for the first evangelistic campaign ever in the history of the, of the church, and that was in Moscow two and a half years ago, the ruble was then seven rubles to the dollar. And when we finished the campaign this year in Nizhny Novgorod the ruble was trading at 1,500 rubles to the dollar. And that great society has been reduced largely economically to a position of impotency. And I want every person who is listening today on television... And every person in this church to know that unless there is a tremendous miracle happening to this country, this world is going, and this nation is going to lead the world into the time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. And that's going to be bad news if you're storing up your money, but it's good news because it tells us that Jesus is going to come soon. Now, I, I want to tell you. I don't say this critically of the federal government, because there's enough blame for every person to share. We're talking now about cutting the deficit. You know really what's happening. Our country today is like a man who earns, listen to this, $40,000 a year, but he's already got a debt for $500,000. That's the deficit. He earns $40,000, but the deficit, his personal deficit, is half a million dollars. And he goes out to buy a Mercedes Benz. And the price on the Mercedes Benz is $100,000. But the dealer says, because times are tough, we're going to give you a $25,000 discount. And so the man who earns $40,000 with a debt of half a million dollars, buys a Mercedes for $75,000 and goes home and tells his family, we've just made $25,000. We've just cut our deficit by $25,000. I want to tell every listen to this, because I want to be faithful to God on this. Listen to what I'm, what I'm saying. Many of us want Jesus to come but we do not want to see the signs that have to happen before Jesus comes. And the Bible says there is going to be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. The Bible tells us that the streets of the great cities are going to be filled with riots. What we saw in Los Angeles last year is going to be repeated on a worldwide scale. And the, and the rich are going to cry out, Woe is me because my silver is cankered. And the Bible says, Woe unto you rich men. Now I say may the Lord help every person in this church to become rich firstly spiritually and then in a physical sense so they, he can bless the work of God. Amen. But I want to tell you the scenario has been set up in this world for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice the third sign. Would you please come over here to Revelation 13 and verse 1, dear hearts. Revelation chapter 13, and we're going to start at verse 1. I will not give a detailed exposition of this because I think the audience understands what these verses are talking about. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea. We believe that this is the great antichrist, the great coalition of church and state that ruled the world in the dark ages, and that is coming back in great authority today. And then I want you to come to verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. We believe that this is the great power of Protestant republicanism that arises in the earth in the last days. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast, the Antichrist, in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Let me give you a very quick prophetic insight. Adventists believe, I believe, that in the last days, the great coalition of church and state that ruled the world will come back. That is happening today, but we believe another power comes on the world scene that paves the way for this Antichrist power to take over the world. And we have taught for over a hundred years that before this happens, we are going to have an amalgamation of world religions, not an amalgamation of the people of God, but an amalgamation, a marriage of the religions of the earth. And eventually we do not know how long this will result in the setting up of a complete totalitarian state, and that will be the New World Order. This is what we have taught. My wife Beverly brought me this clipping uh, a day or two back. This is taken out of the Los Angeles Times, Sunday, September 5. Uh, I read this to you only because it's a little mutter of the thunder, it's only a little flashing of the lightning. Just a little, but it's interesting. It says, meeting of world religions leads to ethics rules. Chicago, warning that the world is in the throes of economic, environmental, and political crisis. Representatives of the world's religion signed an unprecedented Declaration of Global Ethics Saturday to guide human behavior into the new millennium. This has never happened before in the history of the world. Even the Dalai Lama, a people who worship evil spirits, the World Council of Churches, the Roman Church, the Buddhists and the Hindus, and they came together and they said, There are many things we cannot agree on but we must somehow have a new world order and a new set of rules. I say to you see the lightning listen to the thunder because if our prophetic interpretation is correct then Jesus is coming soon. I want to tell you something else. There's another great sign. I think this is the greatest of all the signs. Listen to this. Lift up your heads and rejoice. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the crucified Son of God, the good news of the resurrected Christ, the good news of our high priest, the good news of our coming King, the good news of Jesus is going to be preached as a witness in all the world and then Jesus is going to come. That's what the Bible says. I say, Julia, three or four years ago the Soviet Union was locked in communism. And we could visit there, as I had done, but I couldn't speak. I want you to think with me, and you can visualize this. This happened this year, happened last year. Last year, on June 5, thousands of Russian people in church. The meetings had been so successful that 24, 25, 26, 30,000 people had come to the first meeting in the city of Gorky, a city that had been a closed city, a city that had been set apart by Stalin as a bastion of atheism and communism, where they had outlawed all religion. A city where five years ago, five, six years ago, the police had gone down to our poor little building and beaten up our believers. Beaten them up, knocked them down, confiscated their property. And then there came this baptism. And all the Russian buses were outside and the people, after they'd heard the word of God for weeks and weeks, twice a night, Thousands turned away every night, people standing outside saying, in the name of God, let me in. And people in the western world, in the church, many of them, indifferent to the cry of these people. And the people went out and got in the buses, and I got in a vulgar motor car. And Leonard Fondo sat beside me, the grandson of the co-founder of the KGB. Now, preaching the gospel. What a miracle. As a little boy, he played under the table in the home. Did you know this? He played under the table in the home of his grandmother, where Trotsky and Lenin and Briginsky plotted the revolution of 1917. These men who set out to break the name of God in the world, and here is the grandson preaching the gospel. <laughs> That's a good glory. Jim, bring on a few more glories. (laughs) Something to shout glory over. You know, I go to some churches, and they're so cold, and they're so formal. And there's a reason for that, my bishop. It is because they do not have the Spirit of God. They have a form of godliness, but not the power of God. You And uh, I saw a police car pull up in front of me, and I said... Why is the police car here? Leonard, what are they saying because the loud hailer, the man was shouting through the loud hailer and as we moved out into the traffic, the policeman was saying, "Stop the trams, stop the buses, let everybody move over. These Christians are coming to baptize their people in the Volga. These adventist Christians are coming." Mm-hmm. And when when we got down to the Volga River, I was, and I will tell you, as I sat in the back of a Volga car, my heart was strangely warmed as it had never been. You can, you can see the pictures of the baptism here. It's in Sunrise Over Russia. You can actually see the, the people being baptized. But I sat in the back of that car and with Leonid I wept like a baby. And I said, how great is our God, he has overturned the power of the enemy. And when we got down to the Volga River, I was dumbfounded because there was the Russian army. Not all of them, (laughs) but there was a representation of the Russian army. And I said, Leonard, what is the army doing here? He said, they're showing you honor. They've come to, to set up the tents for the baptism. And the Russian army provided me with a big Russian vehicle so I could preach the word of God. Uh, would you believe it that in this new video, Sunrise over Russia, and if you're watching on 3ABN, write to us and get it. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Sunrise over Russia. The footage of the baptism, it's taken from the air, and people have said to us, how did you get the footage? Let me tell you it was taken by a Russian army helicopter with a big red star on the side being flown by a Russian colonel. I say, what is our God doing today? You think in the city of Gorky alone and we say, glory be to God, there has been the largest baptism in over a thousand years of Russian history. The largest baptism, glory be to God, The largest baptism. How we can praise the name of our God who lives and abides forever. And I want to tell you Russia is only the start. God is going next to move upon the people's land of China. And God is going to bring in millions there in China. It's going to happen. God is going to do it. God is going to finish His work and cut it short in righteousness. And so, there's a mixture of good news and bad news. These things tell us that we have come to the time in Bible prophecy which is called the last day. Jesus is going to come back. I want you to think about this. And when Jesus comes back, our Lord Jesus Christ is going to raise the dead. The sleeping saints are going to be raised, the living saints are going to be translated, they're going to go home to the glory land, and God is going to come in power and fire and majesty and judge the world in righteousness. Uh, Martin, Not Martin Luther, we were watching a movie on Martin Luther with Julia last night, letting her see the truth about the great Protestant Reformation, but another great man in this country, Abraham Lincoln, said these words in the days of the Civil War. He said, when I think of the truth, he said, that God is just, and justice cannot sleep forever. He said, I tremble for my country. I want you to know this. Listen very carefully to me. If you think that this is sensationalism, saying that Jesus is coming soon. God is just. God visited judgment upon the world of Noah. Did He not? Yes. God visited judgment upon the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Did He not? God came in judgment. God is coming in judgment upon the world. Jesus is going to come because this world has almost completely filled up its cup of iniquity, and we haven't long here to dwell. And that is why I say to you with my heart and my soul, and I say to Julia, and I say to the Russians, let us work for these People in the land of Rus, let us work for the Communists and the Atheists. Let us work for these millions of people to whom the light of life has been so long delayed. Let us work while it is day, because the night is coming, where no man can work. I want to say today, you and I, if we're not ready for the coming, of the Lord Jesus Christ or to get ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a text over here somewhere, I think it's in the book of Amos, and I'd be pleased if you'd take your Bible and turn over to this text, and then I might want to make an appeal to every person here. I think it's the book of Amos. It is Amos chapter 4. Amos chapter 4, And verse 11, I'd like every person watching on TV to get his Bible, turn up Amos chapter 4. God says, I overthrew some of you. I overthrew some of you, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet you've not returned to me, says the Lord. Therefore thus I will do to you, O Israel, and because I will do this to you, Say the words with me. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. And then he says, For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind, who declares to a man what his thought is, and makes the morning darkness, who treads the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. And the Bible says, Prepare to meet your God. Let me try to make this Just so plain that every person here, uh, whether he is young or old, will understand it. How can a person prepare to meet his God? Number one, by repentance of sin. That is, by turning from sin. Our sin put Jesus on the cross. We can't be saved while we willingly hold on to our sins. Therefore, the Bible says, repent and be baptized. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, are the words of Jesus and John. Then I need, secondly, to accept the grace of God in Christ. I need to come to Christ, particularly if I'm an old church member, and I've got a cold heart. I need to come to Christ as a little child, and as a humble sinner, and accept what Jesus did for me on the cross. I am not saved by my works. I am saved by the death of Jesus for my sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, Father, it is finished. When Jesus died on the cross, with his own blood, he paid the price of my redemption because of the red spot over there, I can be saved. Napoleon Bonaparte, after Waterloo, after that disastrous defeat, rolled out a map of the world, and then he pointed to England, which of course is in red, and he said, but for that one red spot, I would have conquered the world. And after Calvary, Satan, God, his arch demons around him and he looked at the world and he pointed to Calvary and he said, but for that one red spot I would have conquered the whole wide world. On the cross the one red spot, Jesus paid the price. I am saved by coming in repentance and faith to the cross of Jesus. And when I come in faith and repentance, I need to be baptized if I haven't been baptized. The Bible says, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins and you will receive the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you today, one of the most wonderful experiences I've ever had was when I preached in the Philippines. It was like going to Russia because of the interest of those wonderful people, because the Filipinos are absolutely marvellous people. And just before we went back to Australia, we were invited out to a jail in the Philippines. And we went there and took part in the baptism of 300 inmates in that prison. But then we were taken to a high security, security, prison a few miles down the road. The prisoners in there were such violent men that the guards would not go inside. And so the guards took us there and they opened these massive old iron gates and pushed us in. And we went in with some Filipino lay pastors. And They took us through the crowds of the murderers and the rapists and the the robbers And they took us to a little church, a little Adventist church on death row. I was unprepared for what I was going to see. And I said, what should I do? And they said, the prisoners are coming, preach to them the word of God. And so I preached on the cross of Jesus. I didn't preach on any heavy theology, though what is more heavy than the cross of Jesus? He bore it for us. It was a heavy cross because it carried the sin of the world. I preached to eight young men in that audience sitting down the front with shaven heads because they were going to be electrocuted in the electric chair a little while after I preached to them. I didn't preach on some trivial subject. I didn't preach on some philosophy. When a man is facing the judgment of God, he doesn't want philosophy, he wants a saviour. We have too much philosophy preached in our churches today. We need to preach Jesus and the cross of Jesus. Then we went into a room next door to Death Row Church. It was a a large latrine, lavatory. It had a large tank of filthy water, Bishop. And eight young men got into that pool of water, and I got in with them, with Pastor Graham Bradford, and the water was filthy water, and we baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, eight young Filipino boys, soon to be executed. And as they came into the water, I said to them, why are you here today? And each one of them said, for murder, for murder. Do you know that's why we're here today? We're here because of murder. We put the Son of God on the cross. We say the Jews did it. The Jews didn't do it. We say the Romans did it. The Romans didn't do it. The sin of the world did it. We are here today guilty of murder. And if you think this doesn't apply to you, it is because the Holy Spirit hasn't opened your mind yet. Uh, Young man, why are you here? Because of murder. I'm an assassin. But why are you in the baptismal font? I'm in the baptismal font. Because Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me on the cross, and I've accepted Jesus. And as those boys came up out of the water, Bishop, they didn't want to get out of the water, but they just hung on and wept because they were facing death, but they were also facing everlasting life in the Kingdom. Amen. The Lord. I want to tell you today that there's only one way a person can be ready for the greatest event in the history of the human race, and that is the coming of Jesus. There's only one way, and that is by true faith, by repentance, by acceptance of the blood on the cross and then by baptism, if you haven't been baptized. And I'm going to ask these people to come down the front. Now, some folks get embarrassed at altar calls. That's only because the devil is getting them embarrassed. When you and I are facing eternity, we need to make some strong decisions. I'm going to ask these people to come. Number one, you may be a church member. Maybe you've gone to church. 20, 30, 40, 50 years. But in your heart, you desperately want to be ready when Jesus comes. You really want to be ready when Jesus comes. I'm going to ask those who have never been baptized to come with them. And I'm going to ask you now, can you sing a verse of it? You know the words. I thought you would. As Steve sings, This is a little unrehearsed, Steve, isn't it? This is how we normally do our programs on radio, too. Steve's going to sing this room at the cross for you if you want desperately to be ready when Jesus comes. If you want to be a born-again Christian, some person says to me, I don't like those old terms. Well, my friend, they're Bible terms. There's only one way into the kingdom of God, and that is through being born again. That's the door into the kingdom except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. I'm going to ask you to stand up as Steve sings. I'll come and stand down the front here with my Bible. And I want you to come because there's room at the cross for you. If you're a church member, you may be the first one who needs to come. Lead us, Steve.
0: The cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide, and its grace of free sufficient for me and its fountain as wide as the sea, sing with me. There's room at the cross for you. There's
1: I want you to come as close as you can. And remember, as we come, we don't come because this is a confession of righteousness. We come because this is a confession of our unworthiness. Come close. There's room at the cross for you. Steve's going to sing the next verse. Or else you can sing the first one if you don't remember the second verse. That'll be fine. Paul is going to play it again. It's room of the cross, I want you to know this, every person, listen hard to this, we'll never get to heaven because we're good enough, we'll never get to heaven because we have obeyed the teachings that we believe in, because none of us have obeyed them good enough. We get to, to heaven because there's room at the cross. And if you feel a need today that you want to be right with God, you want to be saved, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, hope and joy and glory, so that after this church service you can shout glory like the glory man does. Let's have a glory now, James. Ah, that's a good glory. (laughs) When you get the love of Jesus in your heart. Now, I meet some people, they, they say, our church is such that nobody would shout glory, well you just go along to that church and that you'll probably find out the reason why. It's only when you see Jesus on the cross, dying for you and coming again, that you want to shout glory. And so, Steve sings the next verse. You come today, come not because you're good, but come because he's good enough for us.
0: The hand of my Savior is strong, and the love of my Savior is long, through sunshine or rain, through loss or in gain, the blood every stain. There's room at the cross for you Sing it with me There's room at the cross for you Though millions have come Though millions have come there's still room for one,
1: yes
0: there's room at the cross for
1: I want you to know this today, the only way a person can be ready for the second coming if he accepts what Jesus did at the first coming. See, the problem with the children of God back there, the remnant church back there, who kept all the commandments, they couldn't get ready for His glorious coming because they didn't want Him on the cross as their Savior. And the only way a person can be ready for the second coming when He comes in glory is by coming as a child and by coming as a sinner And by coming all broken up, and saying, I'm not good enough? Do you want to know what the worst sin is, friend? Churchiness. Self-righteousness. Where I say with the Pharisee, I'm glad I'm not like these other people. I fast twice a week, and I pay my tithes. That man didn't go down to his house justified, but the publican who cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, he went down to the house justified. I want to come today as a prodigal, I want to come as a publican, I want to come as a, a sinner saved by grace.